Meanwhile, heading south from Boston was a cargo ship called the Nantucket. At around 2 a.m., in dense fog, roughly 50 miles off the coast of Virginia, the Nantucket slammed into the SS Monroe. The Monroe quickly began to take on water, and within 10 or 12 minutes, she sank. Passengers and crew, all passengers and crew, were thrown into the icy, icy waters of the Atlantic, and sadly, 41 souls perished that night. After the incident and the cross-examinations during the trial, it was revealed that Captain Johnson navigated the Monroe with a steering compass that deviated by two degrees. Johnson was aware of this, and yet he never recalibrated the compass throughout his time as captain. Now, if you don't know anything about compasses, a compass, a standard compass is 360 degrees, so a two-degree distinction there isn't much. But that two-degree deviation, that two-degree deviation was just enough to have catastrophic results. Friends, close is not close enough. Throughout the entire book of Galatians, Paul calls us to see and know the true gospel because freedom is found only in the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now quickly as a reminder before we jump into our text here this morning, Paul's writing to a group of churches in Galatia. Churches he knows well, churches that he's planted, people that he's evangelized and discipled and spent years with. But he's not writing this letter just to say, hey, I love you and I really miss you. He's writing this letter to correct a major issue in the church. The Galatians were in danger of distorting the gospel. Again, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it reads this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is this yoke of slavery? Paul goes on, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So false teachers here were insisting that you still had to be circumcised to be saved. And if you remember from last time, the same thing happened in Acts 15, False teachers came to Antioch and said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So for the false teachers, it wasn't enough to repent and believe upon Christ. They were adding to the gospel. They were adding to the gospel by insisting that you had to be circumcised as well. So Paul, as a minister of the gospel and as a spiritual father to these Galatian churches, he seeks to bring correction, and then he calls them to trust in the true gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 24, we see a problem and a solution. The problem was this. They're turning away from God by trusting a distorted gospel, but Paul also gives us the solution, thankfully, and the solution was this, trust the real gospel. So let's first look at the problem. What's the problem? Don't desert the gospel of God. And you desert the gospel of God by turning away from grace. Verses 6 and 7, I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul begins here by expressing his sheer amazement at their abandonment of the gospel. He's astonished, he says. To be astonished is it's to be amazed or to marvel at something. He's absolutely shocked. And he's in awe that the Galatian churches are so quickly turning away from God. Again, as a reminder, Paul had spent several years with these people, preaching, teaching, discipleship, praying for them, praying with them, arguing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one that they have all been waiting for, preaching the good news of the gospel, that salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone. And they were turning from God just a few years after he came proclaiming this message of freedom. To desert something is to leave it behind. It's to abandon someone or something or to turn away from it. A soldier who flees their military post is called a deserter. He is one who has abandoned his post. He turns away from it. The Galatian churches were turning away from God. And they were turning away from the very one, verse 6, who has called you in the grace of Christ. To be called, it means to invite or to summon. This is God's effectual call on the life of a believer. The effectual call of God is where God summons his people in such a way that they respond to the gospel and believe. So this calling, this calling comes with a great power, a power that draws us as Christians out of the kingdom of darkness and brings us into God's kingdom. God's calling, his summoning, draws you to repent and believe. And he has called you, Christian, as Paul says, in the grace of Christ. Biblical grace is unearned, unmerited favor from God. And this unearned, unmerited favor is given as a free gift through the gospel. He's already made this clear in verses 3 and 4. You can look up briefly with me. He says, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Friends, this is the gospel that Christ gave himself for our sins, meaning that Jesus was a substitute for us. He died in our place and he paid the penalty for our sins. This is what it means to make atonement. We didn't do anything to deserve this or earn this. We didn't attain to any level of perfection or moral acceptance. We didn't do any kind of work. It certainly had nothing to do with circumcision. It was sheer grace. In Galatians 2.4, Paul says this, though. Excuse me, I'm sorry. This was sheer grace. This grace that the Galatians had experienced previously, they were turning away from. And Paul says here that they have turned, they are turning to another gospel. Now Paul clarifies in verse 7, he says, not that there is another one. There is no other gospel. There is no other true news of salvation. The gospel, as preached by Paul, is rooted in Jesus Christ alone. 
no one else. You might remember what Jesus says in John 14, 6. He says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. So there is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other path to true life. Jesus is the only Savior of the world. So they're not turning to another true gospel. The Galatian churches were deserting God by turning to a false gospel. And they were turning to a false gospel because they were listening to false preachers. This is what he says in the second half of verse 7. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the some here who were troubling the churches of Galatia, they were false preachers. Again, in Galatians 2.4, Paul calls another set of people who were teaching the same heresy, he refers to them as false brothers. And these false preachers, these troublemakers, were leading the Galatians away from God. And again, they were saying that you had to be circumcised to be saved. So gospel plus works equals salvation according to this uh, false equation. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, has really strong words for anyone who messes with the gospel. In fact, if you caught it, he calls down a curse on anyone who tampers with the gospel, including himself and angels from heaven. Why? Why would he have such strong language for anyone who messes with the gospel? Because only the true gospel brings life, and all false gospels equal death. Verse 8, he says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him, let them, excuse me, let him be accursed. So here, the we, it includes Paul and also all of the brothers who are with him. We see, we see that back in verse 2. But let me remind you, Paul, he's what? He's an apostle. And yet he says, if I, Paul, if I come preaching a gospel that's different from the one that the Galatians have already heard, then he himself should be cursed. Did you catch that? Paul himself. If Paul were to show up 20 years later, Preaching a gospel that's just two degrees off, he would say to himself, anathema, be accursed. And then he mentions angels. Angels are normally ministering spirits sent by God for a specific purpose. But he says, if an angel from heaven comes preaching a gospel different from the one that the Galatians have already heard, then this angel should be cursed anathema. To be accursed is to be under God's total judgment. That word there, accursed, has roots in the Old Testament, and it refers to things that were devoted to God for destruction. You'd see that in Joshua chapter 6. When Israel was told to march around Jericho, the city was devoted to destruction. And so the wrath of God, says Paul, will fall on anyone who preaches a different gospel. So we're not talking about mere excommunication from a body of believers. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're talking about ultimate and final destruction, where irrevocable divine punishment is dispensed against those who proclaim another gospel. 
awkward moment. So the words here that Paul uses could not get any stronger. He then repeats himself, but he broadens his application. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So if the wrath of God would fall on an apostle, And if the wrath of God would fall on an angel who is preaching a false gospel, then certainly anyone else preaching a deviant gospel would be cursed. Thank you, brother. Including the false teachers of Galatia. Reminder, Paul has labored amongst these churches. He has preached the true gospel to them before, and they received and believed this true gospel. He says in verse 9, the one you received. And as he has warned them previously, when he was physically with them, he warns them again, if anyone comes and delivers to you a message of salvation different from the message that you have already heard and received and believed upon, then that person should be accursed. Friends, are you believing a false gospel? Are you believing a false gospel? Based upon your profession of faith, affirmed in your membership at Grace Fellowship Church, I doubt any of you as members are preaching a false gospel. But maybe you're entertaining one. Maybe from time to time you're content to listen to teachers who preach a prosperity gospel. One that promises health and wealth and blessing. One that minimizes sin and says, live your best life now. Does that gospel tickle your ear? Friends, that is a false gospel that will damn you to hell. That is a false gospel being preached. And that is a false gospel that is just two degrees off. And I believe that if Paul were here, the apostle, he would look at preachers of the prosperity gospel, and he would say, anathema, be accursed. Loved ones, Christians, brothers and sisters, don't desert the gospel of God by turning to false gospels. Don't desert the gospel of God by turning away from the grace that you have experienced in Jesus. Trust the true gospel that you have come to know. Trust the true gospel that you have believed upon that God has revealed in his word. Paul goes on, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul here, Paul's not worried about mincing words. And he's not worried about mincing words here because he doesn't care about pleasing man. He isn't worried about appeasing their conscience. He's not worried about tickling their ears with whatever they would want to hear. And again, as a reminder, as a Jew himself, he was circumcised according to the law. So he could have easily succumbed to his critics and conceded ground to win their approval. But he doesn't do that. In fact, his two rhetorical questions here in verse 10, it implies that he has no regard for the approval of man. He's not trying to please man with his message. 
And Paul says that if he did, if he, if he worried about any of these things, he wouldn't be a servant of Christ. You wouldn't want a doctor to give you an aspirin when you had cancer. You wouldn't want that doctor to tiptoe around the issue and act like it's not that bad. No, you'd want that doctor to give you the precise treatment that you needed to beat that cancer. And that's what Paul is doing here for the Galatians and for us. He's giving us, he's showing us again the true gospel that saves our souls. So we've laid out the problem. It's a pretty grave problem. They're turning away from God by turning away from grace. Now, thankfully, again, Paul gives us the anecdote, and he gives us the solution to the problem, and the solution is this. Trust the truthfulness of the gospel. That's what I want to call you today, brothers and sisters. I want to call you to trust the truthfulness of the gospel, and you can trust the truthfulness of the gospel for three reasons. Here's the first one. Because the gospel comes from God and not man. Verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The anathema or the cursing that Paul proclaims demonstrates that he, again, is not at all concerned about pleasing people. If he were, then he wouldn't be a servant of Jesus Christ. And Paul isn't concerned about pleasing people because the message that he proclaims is not a human gospel. The second half of verse 11 could be translated literally as this. The gospel preached by me is not according to man. So this wasn't a message concocted by humans or a message concocted by Paul himself. And even further, he didn't receive this gospel from any other person, nor was it taught by another man. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. So where did this gospel come from? Verse 12 again, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Paul preached, he received directly from the Son of God himself. Most of us can remember Paul's conversion. He was traveling north from Jerusalem to Damascus, which would be a two-week journey if you're traveling on foot. And on this journey, he has this incredible encounter. The risen Lord Jesus appears to Paul. He sees Jesus. Can you imagine that? He sees Jesus the guy who died, and here he is alive speaking to Paul. And not only does he see the resurrected Lord who appeared to him, but God gives Paul this revelation. He entrusts the gospel. He gives him the gospel message. He gives this directly to Paul. So the gospel comes directly from God, not man. And this gospel changed Paul's life radically. That brings us to our second point. You can trust the truthfulness of the gospel because the real gospel changes lives. Like all of us, Paul's life looked radically different before he encountered grace. So consider who Paul was before God saved him. Verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I 
for the traditions of my fathers. So before grace, Paul was killing Christians. He says, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Acts 8 and 9 give us a little glimpse into Paul's hatred for the church. He looks on and approves of the stoning of Stephen, the proto-deacon and the first martyr of Christianity. And then, and then Acts 8, verses 1 and 3, it goes on and says this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they, that is Christians, were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, that is Paul, Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then if you went to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says this, but Saul, that is Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here's Paul, zealously persecuting the church, doing whatever he can to eradicate followers of the way. And he was advancing, he says, advancing in Judaism beyond his, his peers. Paul was born, reared, and educated a Jew, and then he was trained as a Pharisee, which meant that his zeal and his passion for the law most likely exceeded most of those around him. And yet, something happened. Something changed. He goes from strict law adherence and killing Christians to being the single greatest missionary of Jesus Christ to ever live. What happened to this man? He experienced grace. <laughs> he met Jesus. And the gospel changed his life. Consider who Paul was after God saved him. Verses 15, 16, and 17. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So friends, what we see here in these verses, we have a clear picture of Paul's election, effectual call, conversion, and apostolic call. Let's break this down. To be set apart to be set apart is to be separated or appointed. God the Father set him apart before Paul was born. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is God's electing love on the life of the apostle. Let me ask you something. Did God choose Paul because he was such a religious zealot? No. Did God choose Paul because Paul had the entire law, probably, completely memorized? No. Did God choose Paul because Paul was such a holy man? No. God elected Paul and saved Paul because of God's abundant grace. Paul says in verse 15 that God set me apart 
and called me by his grace. Again, this is that same effectual call that we saw in verse 6. God the Father summons Paul to faith and repentance in the exact same way that the Galatians were summoned to faith and repentance, which is the exact same way you and I and every Christian everywhere are summoned to faith. In verse 16, God who set Paul apart before he was born and who summoned Paul to repentance and faith reveals to him his son. He shows him the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is converted. He was radically changed. He repents from his sins and puts his faith and trust in the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. But his calling, he says, his calling had a purpose. This grace had a purpose. Paul was set aside for life and for mission. Verse 15 and 16 again. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul says that his salvation happened in order that he might tell others of this incredible grace, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord says of Paul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. So Paul's calling was to go and preach Christ to the nations. And did you notice what happened when he received this calling? The Lord revealed himself to Paul, but Paul didn't hold a deliberation with himself and his pals, did he? No, verse 16 and 17, again, I, uh, verse 16b and 17, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul didn't need to consult with anyone because this isn't man's gospel. The, co the gospel came directly from God himself. And Paul knew as an apostle appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ that his office came with a message. Therefore, Paul, again, didn't need any validation, even from the other apostles. So he doesn't hold a conference together with the brothers to discuss things. He doesn't wait an extended period of time what happened? Paul went, and he went into Arabia and back again to Damascus, again, preaching the gospel. Now, again, Acts 9 gives us, uh, fills in some of the gaps for us, verses 20 to 22. It says this, and immediately after his conversion, after Paul's conversion, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. And said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose? To bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus Christ, that proving that Jesus was the Christ. So here's a man who was dramatically changed. His life was dramatically altered by the gospel. And the Lord takes him from persecutor of the faith to preacher of the faith. 
Look at what the gospel has done to this man. That's a serious change in my book. Friend, has this change happened to you? Were you going one way and then you experienced the resurrected Lord and the gospel and are now going a completely different way altogether? If you are not a Christian yet, I'm thankful that you are here, but friend, you have to do something with this gospel because this gospel comes from God and because it's true, because the the content of this message is true, you should believe it. You should take a hold of it. I'd urge you today to not go another day without considering this message that we see here again today, that Christ died to save sinners, that he was resurrected from the grave and now sits at the right hand of the Father. See, before grace, just like the Apostle Paul, you are dead in your sins, which means that you are separated from God. And this is the plight of all humanity. And you are in need of a Savior. You are in need of a Savior, friend. But here's the gospel that if you turn away from your sins and you come to Jesus, you will find the Savior that you need. Do that today. I urge you. So the solution to encountering a false gospel is is trusting the true gospel. And trusting the true gospel involves knowing that it's from God and not man, knowing that it has the power to change lives, and thirdly, knowing that the true gospel advances and glorifies God. So after his conversion, Paul explains how the true gospel advanced through his life, He would spend a period of three years in Arabia and Damascus preaching the gospel. He didn't consult with anyone, none of the other apostles. But then finally, he goes up to Jerusalem, verses 18 to 24. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And when I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia that was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul records with detail every step of his journey when he comes to faith. And after three years of ministering in Arabia, in Damascus, he goes to Jerusalem. But if you caught it, when he goes up to Jerusalem, he makes this an incredibly short visit, 15 days. That's a very short visit. He hasn't met any of the apostles before. And this is Paul. I think this is really crazy when you think about it. This is Paul. Again, he was a a persecutor of Christians. He killed Christians. And now he is preaching the gospel. He experiences, uh, experiences this dramatic change, and yet he only spends 15 days with Peter, uh, another man who spent several years with Jesus. And then he didn't see any of the other apostles apart from James. By giving us these little details here, I think Paul's demonstrating that because this is God's gospel, one that he received directly from Jesus, he didn't need any other validation. 
even from the apostles who were in Jerusalem. He doesn't need them to add anything or to cross-check any of his facts. He's saying that the manuscript that he has came from God. He doesn't need any other copy editors. And so he rips into Jerusalem for a few days. He sees a handful of the leaders, the main leaders, and then he gets back to the mission field. And from there, he goes into Syria and Cilicia, which was a Roman province at the time, one province, which is modern-day Syria and modern-day Turkey. And Galatians 2.1 tells us that he spent 14 years here. So what we see is that the true gospel is advancing. Paul says elsewhere, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. He's driven by his calling. He responds in obedience to the Lord and takes the gospel to the nations. He doesn't associate with long, long with Peter. He barely sees James. He doesn't see any of, the, any of the other apostles. And on top of that, he doesn't associate or connect with any of the other churches in Judea. And yet while the Christians in Judea haven't physically met Paul, they haven't spent time with him personally, they're hearing all kinds of reports about him and his work. In verse 23, they say, the man who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Those words there, the, the, the faith, that's shorthand for the entire message of Christianity, the very message that changed Paul's life. Again, from killing hope to heralding hope, the churches are then left to do nothing but marvel at God. Look at what God is doing. Look what God has done. The gospel is now going out to the ends of the world through this man who used to kill us. They marvel at God's sheer grace they marvel that the gospel is advancing and they are left to do nothing but glorify God. <laughs> when I was reading this, I thought, wow, praise the Lord that God used Paul in such a miraculous way. And then I thought, praise the Lord that God uses any of us. The churches were praising God for how he used Paul. Brothers and sisters, I believe that we too can glorify God when we see him using our brothers and sisters around us. It blows me away that he would use a sinner like me, that he would use sinners like us to advance his gospel in and around the world. So when you hear of the evangelism team doing evangelism at Humber, praise God for that and pray for greater help. And when you hear about the faithful work of sisters through the Pregnancy Care Center. Praise God for that and pray for more help. And when someone demonstrates really godly hospitality, praise God for that and ask God for a greater help. Oh, brothers and sisters, I think we can praise God for, for his, uh, an, an abundance of work in our lives. May we do that and may we keep begging him, Lord, keep working in us. Use us, Lord. Use us for your glory. But brothers and sisters, who and what you live for matters. You have this one life. You and I, we have this one life, and then we will all face eternity, which means that you and I, you, we, you must know the true gospel well, friends. And in a world that has lots of different gospels floating around out there, any deviation from the true gospel, even if it's by one or two degrees, would prove to be fatal. And so I want to remind you and call you this morning, remember the true gospel. 
Trust the true gospel that you have received and believed upon. Trust the true gospel that the Lord revealed in his word to you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much as we have sung and read and declared this morning the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you were so gracious and that you, you came and you went to the cross for sinners. Thank you for this life that we have. And I pray for all of my brothers and my sisters here today that you would help us to trust the true gospel that we read in your Bible. Nestle that true gospel down deep into our hearts and our minds. Keep us from false gospels. And if there is anyone here today who has never trusted the true gospel, I pray that you would move in their heart and call them to faith and repentance that, would they, that they would believe upon Christ. I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, would you please stand as you are able and let's respond by singing and worshiping the Lord together.